Hello and welcome to the Wednesday interview from the Sustainable Futures Report. I'm Anthony Day and it's Wednesday the 8th of June. Discussion about the climate crisis continues both about whether there really is a climate crisis and what we should or could be doing to avoid it. I have a number of interviewees lined up to give their views over the next few weeks. It's vital that we remove the threat of climate crisis, that we avoid unusual and extreme weather, that we do everything we can to ensure nothing threatens global food production, and that we avoid floods, droughts and storms, and protect the lives of the world's population. At the same time, if we save the world, we want it to be a nice place to live. You'll hear next Wednesday about dealing with plastic pollution. Today, we're considering why it's essential to reduce, reuse and recycle. And of course, the full circular economy model goes very much further to repurpose, remanufacture, repair and so on. We need to do all these things to minimise our use of virgin resources because there's a finite supply and growing demand as more and more citizens of the world seek a Western lifestyle. We need to avoid, as far as possible, the energy needed to manufacture new things. We need to minimise transport emissions by minimising the journeys that products and raw materials take from source to factory to consumer. We need to minimise waste and to minimise the distance that any remaining waste has to travel for processing. Look at any product and think carbon. The carbon footprint of almost any product can be reduced. Here's an example. Today I'm talking to Tinya Pina, who is CEO and founder of Renewable. Yes, the clue is in the name, Renewable. It's all part of the circular economy, I like to think. Indoor Growing Solutions is the tagline on the website. Tinia, welcome. Tell us a bit more about what you're offering to the market. Thank you, Anthony. And, and first, we'd like to thank you for just having us be a part of your story uh, today. What Renewable focuses on is exactly what you said, the circularity of uh, food waste. And essentially, we try to create a platform of sustainable technologies for indoor growers so that they can benefit from a positive climate and financial impact. Um, the reason why we focused on food waste specific to indoor growers and, and not so much the traditional field uh, farmers is that being able to grow organically or using more of uh, what would be biological um, alternatives. So for soil, you can take chicken litter, you can take horse manure or other traditional um, organic fertilizers and use it with ease because you have the microbes and the soil is able to be a really good um, area or environment to serve as a soil trench. So the microbes have a great ecosystem that's diverse enough to break down the nutrients and finally make it readily available as plant food to these plants. Whereas in a soilless or hydroponic system, it's far different. Um, you know, farmers or growers seeking to grow using this type of method where they're really just using uh, nutrients and water and delivering it in more precise ways to the root, they really um, command and, and really um, hype around more sterile, clean uh, farming systems, whether it's in a deep water culture pond or a hydroponic nutrient film technique system. And so what we try to do is to take food waste and it can be varying types of food waste. So right now we work with broccoli, carrots, um, corn, cauliflower, it can be a mix. 
And that waste, we basically process it in a unique way that makes it compatible for these very soilless systems to grow, having the same comparable growth and productivity as they are with conventional mineral salts. Okay, so we're talking here about uh, commercial farms, aren't we? We're talking about uh, greenhouses with hydroponic systems. This, this is not for the uh, everyday consumer. Uh, good point. So we are working with some brands that have hydroponic systems or at home, think of an arrow garden system or a lettuce grow farm stand um, where people like you and I want to grow hydroponically and just in an indoor garden. We are working with a number of partners to use our nutrients in replace of the mineral salts. Right. But the, but the main market at the moment, I think, is is the commercial market. So you're providing then growing medium for the plants to sit on and the liquids to provide the nutrients and fertilizer to the hydroponic system. Am I correct? You're exactly correct. You mentioned that you're recycling waste vegetables as basically your feedstock. I saw somewhere that uh, you can also process uh, waste seafood, but your ingredients surely will affect the actual nature of what you produce. I mean, somehow I imagine you, you have to analyze each batch uh, and correct the, the, the balance of nutrients. Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's actually very right, Anthony, because we get that question often. So for example, we're asked if your waste that you receive as a raw material, right? And that this is coming from food manufacturers and distributors. And it's that residual that it can't be easily given to a composting facility because it's maybe two hours north of the city or they, there's just not local composting infrastructure. So we take that from our national um, food waste hauler where they already have networks and customers that they serve. And they work with us because we're able to more cheaply process it within 24 hours in a completely enclosed warehouse that will you know, basically turn it into the same product each time, even though we may not have, we may not be working with the exact number of carrots or broccoli. So we've had invested like seven to eight years of R&D to basically come up with a baseline NPK or nitrogen phosphorus potassium level so that we know how much we can extract of that from the food waste and be able to modify it based on the crop type needs. Right, so you have this nutrient liquid but you also produce growing medium. Now, is that just yeah. is that just a support? Is that just inert, just somewhere for the seeds or roots to to lock onto? Exactly, and that's made from the crustacean waste that you you mentioned. Ah. So that crustacean waste is our base kind of core um, ingredient or raw material, and it's the crustacean waste um, post uh, you know um, <laughs> post uh, fishery um, operations um, that residual that often composting um, bound, we can take that and, and use that to turn into a foam, similar to like this. And this foam is um, basically customized based on the form factor or the size and, <clears throat> and depth needed by farms to ex do exactly what you described, put the seed in and be able to grow the plants from. And um, will that material biodegrade? Good point. <clears throat> so we're still, you know, wrapping up like um, I would say iteration in terms of product development. The great thing about the product is that it is able to fully biodegrade within 60 days. For us, we are trying to iterate on extending that so that fruiting crops such as tomatoes can be able to use the same 
uh, media as your leafy greens, which wouldn't need a media more than 45 days typically. Right. What are you competing with uh, for that sort of product? Yeah, so we're competing with Rockwool. Um, you're competing with peat. You know, the thing is with the substrate uh, industry where there's this huge convergence of challenges happening right now. So you have countries such as the UK, Ireland and Canada that are strictly putting mandates against production of peat because of how much it's extractive to the environment. And if we're removing its ability to uh, sequester carbon, then Indeed. that certainly isn't um, a sustainable industry as many claim. So you have that, and then you have just worldwide the gap or shortage of supply as it relates to cocoa core um, and peat, as I described. Most, from what our feedback has been with customers, most farms wish to divert or change from Rockwell because even though some of the largest Rockwell brands or suppliers um, do, do have a way to reclaim their Rockwell, at the end of the day, it cannot be um, it cannot be fully recycled. And so, when you look at from a life cycle analysis perspective, you know unless the Rockwell can be used multiple times without encountering the risk of introducing plant plant toxins or any contaminants. Its, its ability to really be a sustainable case is strongly challenged. Right, so at the end of its life, your product goes to what, to composting? That's correct. So the chitin, which is sourced from the crustacean waste and the base material of this product, it's, it serves a number of plant benefits. So chitin can basically help the plant almost like with immunity, let's say with um, us taking supplements, right? Chitin serves the same benefit to plants. So it'll allow a plant to increase its stress resilience as it relates to plant disease or pests. And then it also provides more firm cellular structures such as stem and leaf development. So it's great to kind of have those properties within the product without you know, adding additional nutrients or what the industry calls a nutrient charge, because most farms or most commercial operators want to have the customization of knowing that they're working with an inert or benign media um, and they can customize it as they as their growth needs. Can you tell me something about uh, Glens Falls Vertical Farm, which I found on your website? Yeah, thanks for asking. You know, what that is, is if there's anyone curious about vertical farming, how is it, how it relates and how it can be um, adopted by non-urban regions. So we're trying to show that peri-urban, which is the case for Glens Falls, a, a smaller city, um, about four and a half hours northeast of New York City, uh, as similar to more rural areas, how by integrating commercially available or off-the-shelf proven technology partners, such as Fluence on the lighting, PIP on the vertical um, structuring or structure or racking system, how if you can take those and turn them into modular grow boxes so that non-urban areas can have a turnkey um, model to adopt in underutilized or vacant buildings. In Glens Falls, that's the case of a third story commercial building in downtown. It's three stories. The farm, which is literally a grow box within a 2000 square foot um, commercial space, formerly occupied by like lawyers and service providers, we can be able to show within that 480 square feet operating space that it can be a 
profitable modular model. And I say modular because a lot of the farms that get into vertical farming specifically are challenged on the financing because it is capital intensive. But as you grow, because especially with the desire for more local and sustainable production, the demand is there, at least we see it in New York and elsewhere, but, um, but the ability to expand the farm, doing it in a way that is cost effective and won't, you know, especially as capital has become more expensive with, due to inflation and a number of drivers, it allows these new operators typically to do it in a way that they can expand and not have the same risk that some of these farms have been challenged with and have become insolvent, unfortunately. So um, the project is to be fully transparent. It's to be open data from a perspective of where we're kind of building this as we grow and sharing our learnings and insights with everyone so that if interested, they have something that they can kind of latch on and would want to replicate in their area. I'm assuming you have vertical farms within New York City itself. Yes, that is correct. So you have Gotham Greens, which typically um, grows on rooftops. You do have Bowery. They're located right outside of, um, of New York City and Kearney, New York. And then Arrow Farms, most notably, which is right in Newark, New Jersey. Um, but there are there are smaller other ones, such as Farm, Farm One, which is in Brooklyn, and a number of other smaller operators. So this vegetable waste is presumably coming from food processors within the city, but is it also coming from restaurants? Good point. Um, not limited to the city. So we're headquartered in New York City, but our facility is in Rochester, New York, which is largely a suburban, more rural area. Um, a lot of food production. So we typically work with the pre-consumer, more clean waste because we've, we've tested different post-consumer waste types. And anytime you have animal byproducts or dairy, the bacterial control issue becomes that much more challenging. And you need to be able to control for that, especially in a hydroponic system where these bacteria are fighting for light. They're trying to eat any type of um, food source and it can immediately turn into algae issues, which is what we're trying to thwart. So um, pre-consumer only and not limited to urban areas. We, we definitely have um, facilities outside of uh, New York City. But I feel the way it works will reduce food miles um, and uh, you know cut the carbon footprint of food production because you're keeping things relatively close together. Is that right? Yeah, you're exactly right. And you know, our goal has never been, let's have renewable as a centralized facility in New York service all of the US and certainly not be exporting elsewhere around the, um, the world. Our goal is to take our process and replicate it so that other economies, ag economies can do the same thing that we're doing here. And if you look at other um, larger markets in India and the UK and Ireland as well and, and elsewhere, you know, there's certainly the same concentration, if not similar, of food waste, right? So there's a, there's a market from a raw material perspective. And then the need to have more resilience as it relates to inputs. Um, and if we can help these countries and these other areas outside the U.S. increase their ability to make inputs from their own waste stream, that's ultimately our mission. So is this a plan for the future or is this sort of consultancy something that you're offering already? Good point. So we've been we've been talking to a number of partners on the consultancy side. 
to be very honest, you know, it's most likely going to scale or be offered in a way where we find strategic partners in those markets and they're local, they know their farmers well, they know distribution well, um, and be working with those partners to take our process and replicate it. Well, that's very interesting and it's very encouraging. And as we said to start with, it's the circular economy in action. Tinia, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts and ideas with the Sustainable Futures Report. Anytime, Anthony. Thank you so much for having me. Tinia Pina of Renewable. You'll find more at renewable.com. And before you go looking, you should know how that's spelt. It's re-nuble.com. re-nuble.com. If you're in the UK or one of the far-flung members of the Commonwealth, I do hope that you've had an enjoyable Jubilee weekend. I can't say that I took a great deal of notice of it, although Friday was a lovely day for a street party. I'll comment more in next Friday's episode of the Sustainable Futures Report, and if your reaction to that is, hang on, this sounds like politics, well, I make no apology. Politics is about the preservation of the security and prosperity of the people isn't it? Without politics and governments on side, we're not going to solve the climate crisis. Anyway, let's leave that until Friday. For the moment, that was the Wednesday interview from the Sustainable Futures Report. I'm Anthony Day. Until Friday. Mm -hmm.